Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast, where we consider the classics in light of the Christ. My name's Colton Moore, and I'm here with Devin Wilkins, and we've got a special guest today. His name is Dr. Uh, Mark Minaldo, and he's an associate professor and the head of the Department of Liberal Studies at Texas A&M University Commerce in Commerce, Texas. To which he came in 2017 after spending seven years at Texas A&M International University. He attended Colorado College as an undergraduate student. And it was here that Dr. Minaldo discovered the art of close reading and the power of interdisciplinary scholarship. He took these skills with him to Michigan mm-hmm. State University, where he earned his doctorate in political science. As a teacher, now, he encourages students to see the connection of ideas across disciplines and beyond the classroom. When he's not teaching, he can usually be found drinking coffee at the local coffee shop, reading a book, or talking to friends. Uh, He and his wife are the proud parents of three children, Oliver, Henry, and Ava, and they reside in Greenville, Texas. Dr. Ronaldo, can I call you Mark on this? Please do. Is that appropriate, Mark? (laughs) <laughs> Mark, I, I, thanks for joining us well, today. Mark or or or, or Air Minaldo, if you want to go German on me. So. <laughs> well, um, Mark, we we wanted to have you on on this podcast because you and I are just recent friends. We, we've known we've only known each other for um, a year and I guess three quarters, going on two years now. We went to church with each other for a short period of time where we briefly got to know one another. And over the last several months, I mean, most of our relationship has been consisted in phone calls and, and texting and various meetings here and there. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have you on and to um, share how, uh, well, just give us your experience with, with the great books and how they've uh, shaped you into the, into the man that you are, that you are today. So I suppose we are. Um, yeah. So first of all, thanks for that introduction. It was brilliant. I don't know who wrote it. But, um, <laughs> well, don't don't copy and paste it uh, into Google because you might you might you might uh, find that introduction on, on some of college website. My, my, my web page. Um, did you write that? I suppose. Yeah, I did. It was my student friend. <laughs> my student friend. <laughs> I was supposed to write a student-friendly bio, so that's my student-friendly bio. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great bio. That's why I picked it. I think bio should be a little more impersonal, more more personal. Colton, does Mark teach at your alma mater, your alma mater, or do you go somewhere else? Oh, good. Yeah. So, yeah, I got my undergraduate degree in music education at Texas A&M University in Commerce. Uh, and so, uh, Mark teaches, Mark teaches there as well. Yeah. Oh, but he wasn't your teacher. No, he, I don't think you came in 2017. No, I left, left in 2015. He left out. Oh, I suppose, <laughs> I, su- I suppose what I'll, I'll do is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll contextualize the, the, the answer, you know, by giving you a, a sort of, um, a description of my education and the sort of the odd way I came to, you know, the greatest book of all, so to speak, right? My journey has been one in books, but uh, the Bible was not one of them for a very long time in my life, up until early 40s, I would suspect. But um, 
like all numbskull high schoolers, I had no idea what I was going to do going to college. Um, well, not all, well, not all people mm-hmm. are numbskulls, but I definitely was part of the numbskull pack. Um, I was a sort of introverted kid. I read, I didn't like reading for class. I like reading on my own. Uh, I thought I was cool because I was reading Herman Hess rather than reading the, 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 the standard <laughs> English class books. And I suppose that like every, uh, every kind of wayward youth, I was looking for some sort of uh, cheap, cheap transcendence um, through books like Siddhartha mm. and um, uh, looking for meaning in places that you just weren't finding it. I didn't grow up in, in the church. I grew up with this sort of strange Latin American spirituality in my household and in the, the the culture around me which could be a, a whole other podcast but um when i got to college uh, i i discovered well i didn't discover it was imposed on me i was like i was put in a philosophy class against my wishes and um i had this sort of this is at colorado actually this was my first institution was Fairfield University in Connecticut was my freshman year. I spent my freshman Mm. year in Fairfield. It was a Jesuit school. And the only reasoning behind Mm. that was my Mm. mom says the Jesuits, my mom's from Long Island. She's like, the Jesuits got money. So (laughs) she thought I'd get a scholarship. And I did, I did get a scholarship. And that was the sort of the, uh, my mother's calculation was where you live, grew up in Mexico, you're not going to get in-state tuition. We got to get you guys scholarships. So at Fairfield, I was confronted by a Jesuit. So a man in the collar. And I just like, what the heck's this guy doing in the classroom? And I'm, we're, we're reading these books, probably my first couple weeks in the, in the course, I'm just in a fog. I don't know about you guys, freshman year. It's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm all, I was always tired. <laughs> um, nobody's yeah, doing, insecure, no one's doing my laundry. You know, the food stinks. And uh, <laughs> out of nowhere, right? So we go, go through the first weeks of class, reading actually a book by Thomas Nagel, Nagel, The Problems of Philosophy. And I'm like, what is this? This is boring. Not into it. Why am I in this philosophy <laughs> class? And then we get, we read our first uh, dialogue. You know, I, I didn't even know who Socrates was, to be honest. I read our first dialogue, which was the Euphithero. I don't know if you've uh, taught that, but mm-hmm. the Euphithero is a dialogue on, on so to speak, on mm-hmm. piety, where Socrates confronts, not confronts, he runs into Euphithero, who's, who is <laughs> Socrates on his way to his trial, and Euphithero is going to be, um, what is it? He's suing his uh, son? Or is it he's suing his father? I can't remember for killing the slave. And he's the basic gist of the argument. I talked to the gods and the gods told me to do this. And it's against nature, so to speak. It's against, he's going against his own blood. But the reason I was compelled to want to read it is because the, this dude reminds me of my dad, which is, you think, it's like not, it's not just my dad who thinks he speaks to the gods. <laughs> And like, it's still, you know, in this one-to-one relationship, it's like, oh yeah, God told me to do this. So this is what I'm going to do. And you're like, oh man, this guy's, is, this guy's wacky. So in the, in the first sense, it, it, it was very, very personal because the youth to throw very much was an immediate relationship to my life. Like the, the 
context where I grew up. Mm. But secondarily, it was Socrates interrogating Euthyphro. And, you know, it's hard to uh, recreate these memories, right? Because you're still a dopey 18-year-old. But if I had to sort of, in, in a nutshell, I would say, uh, hot dang, like, who talks like this? That's what, that, would have, that was my, like, who is this guy? Who is this guy interrogating this? And why are these questions, why is like this unrelenting questioning, right? Boom, boom. It was like Mike Tyson in, in with words. And I never had mm-hmm. experienced anything like that in any conversation with any human being, right? Was the Euthyphro in a signed text? Yeah, it was assigned. So we'd read Euthyphro, then we read the Apology, the Apology, then we read the Republic, and then we kind of began gotcha. the ethics. I remember. But the the point is, is that this the something ha- I got I, I got stung. I was electrocuted. You name it. And I just try. I just remember being this one fool in the class who was reading every page of the text, mm. right? And uh, I, I still have my freshman notebook. I write down the page number and I try to rewrite the dialogue so it wouldn't be lost. Mm-hmm. And um, all I know is that I, I, something happened and I didn't want to stop. That's, that was the, 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 the sort of career choice I made in that moment. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know, but I want to read these books. But the, <laughs> but, but the issue is that then I transferred from a very, you know, if you know anything about Jesuit schools, uh, they're not quite like St. John's, but their core curriculum is very strict, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to study religion. You're going to study philosophy. You're going to study music history. Mm-hmm. You're going to study art history. Like they still have a very, well, I don't know if it's changed, but they had a very strict core curriculum. I transferred to Colorado College, which is in a whole other world in terms of uh, college curriculums. It's a one class at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is was very little in terms of structured curriculum. It was very free. It was very open. Mm-hmm. And I majored in philosophy there. But the philosophy there is very interesting because at Colorado College in the late 50s or early 60s, I, can't, I don't remember the decade, a, a philosopher named John Glenn Gray worked there. And he was one of the first English translators of Heidegger. Mm-hmm. And... Before the world, uh, con- uh, before America knew Heidegger, Colorado College was very Heideggerian. So when I, by the time I'm at Colorado College, that department is very what we call continental philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's all about continental philosophy. It's very Heideggerian and it's very postmodern. Mm-hmm. So my my education in the classics in undergrad was almost nil. Right? I I didn't read ancient authors. I read Heidegger. I read well, I read the, you know, the moderns. I read Hume, Kant, uh, Paul Pierce, uh, British philosopher, empiricism. But I probably read Heidegger in 60% of my courses. Wow. And um, by the, at the end of my education in undergrad and reading Heidegger and Lacan and Foucault and Derrida and all these sort of postmodernists who were all the, they were still alive and all the rage, um, I finished feeling, uh, uh, I felt an emotion of sort of incompleteness and inarticulate at the same time. I was both inarticulate and incomplete and went to Michigan State, one, because I wanted to keep studying Heidegger, but two, because I felt, because I understood that the curriculum political philosophy that I was going to read was much um, broader. I was going to read ancient all I knew is I was going to read ancient authors 
and and I got the I got to Michigan State, really not knowing what I was getting into, and I got these 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 strange ducks, these faculty members who they they would schedule their classes on Thursday night once a week, and we would sit down, we'd come in, and we'd go from seven to midnight. Um, we're like, it's time, like it's ten o'clock, man. The class is over. But all the senior guys, all the older students knew you just we just we're gonna meet about five to six hours wow. uh, each week, and we're just gonna read and we're just gonna read one book. So we would read one book a semester. I didn't know what I was getting into, yeah. but it turns out that I got that my faculty they were of the so called school of thought of uh, Leo Strauss which was a German Jewish emigre who moved to the U S and made, uh, you know, was a somewhat opaque yet controversial character in the U S um, especially his students, hmm. but their mode of teaching was very, um, text driven, uh, transliteration and, and, uh, uh we don't contextualize the thinkers, hmm. uh, they contextualize us. So to speak, hmm. they speak beyond their times to, um, so that was that's the basic gist. And so in grad school, I read Aristotle and Plato, um, but I also read Montesquieu. I read Franklin. I read uh, Rousseau. I read Heidegger. I did Nietzsche. Um, mm-hmm. And it was divided in, if you want it, in the most simplistic uh, mode between the ancients and the moderns. And Leo Strauss thought that there was a massive difference between ancient rationality and modern rationality. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the setup. That's the setup in terms of where I come from. Um, if I was uh, the great book education or the or the canon of Western political philosophy, it was from it goes from uh, pre-Socratics all the way to Heidegger. Yeah, it sounds like you were really curious, and that kept you going. But was there a a a discomfort along the way? What um, what led you to the point that you the- would become a believer. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's, so I'm done. I finished grad school about 29. Yeah. I think. And so I taught from age 30. So we'll put, uh, we'll put uh, D day as May 1st, 2022. Cause I wrote it down. That's when I, I finally took part in the mm. Lord's supper. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, so we, so that's the timeline, May 1st, 2022. Yeah. I was there. <laughs> C3 Commerce Community Church, a small little. Thanks. I know. Oh, that's small, right. Little, you were small there. Small little community. I remember because um, uh, one of the pastors, <laughs> one of the pastors, uh, stood up and was just like in tears, just so thankful that you were you were partaking of the Lord's Supper for the first time. It was a, it was yeah, a fantastic moment. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, again, again, this is a sort of reconstruction of of things. Frag of. It, of a nonlinear process. For me, it was always nonlinear, which was, um, it's hard to simplify. I I would say as you age, there's a couple things you realize. One, I'm not a philosopher, right? Like I, I, in some sense, I didn't see myself living the life of a, a philosopher and think of the, the, the ideal of a philosopher is Socrates. Right? He's got a wife and kids, but they're never around, right? He's got a job, but he never does it. Um, and 
I'm I'm far less complicated of an individual. I'm a really simple guy who likes ice cream and movies and my kids and, um, <laughs> but it I, so I understood that like my life was not quite to be in pursuit of philosophy. And but on the other hand, I think I understood philosophy enough mm. to feel to in in a fundamental way into it that it wasn't does not offer a consolation mm. in this life. Right. Or yeah, not, yeah. not, not, not even the afterlife in this life, like in, in, and right. I, I, I liken it to like, um, I feel like Socrates was someone who, if he felt an emotion, he would immediately cauterize it by thinking about it. Right? Mm. So philosophy is like cauterize, it, it's cauterizing anything that would make you, um, anything that might cut you at the knees, you should be able to. Uh, deflect mm. and I'm just not that kind of human being and at the same time it, it, you from a from a thinker's perspective it kind of tends to nihilism I think mm. like it's it's easy I don't always see as uh, say ancient philosophy as only as a contemplation of the good you see you read enough of it and you understand they're very skeptical too yeah right they're better their intention with their skepticism their idealism and their skepticism. It's not like they were confused about uh, uh, idealism and they didn't understand that there was a nihilistic streak in human nature. They were just more, they were far more careful about veiling that than say Nietzsche and Machiavelli, Machiavelli were. So I was, um, I would say that I had some very negative consequences from studying philosophy for 20 years, which is that I would, to use our, the language of Christianity, it had hardened my heart to a, to a very significant degree, hmm. but I could also intuit that I want—I don't know how to explain it. I wanted out. Does that make sense? But I didn't know how. It's like you were living the allegory of the cave or something. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like I'm in the cave and I see the philosophers going out, who maybe hmm. get to glimpse the sun, and I'm stuck in the cave. I'm like, well, where are they going? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like you know what Ronaldo you don't get the car we'll tell you about it when we come back down but the, the, the yeah. sun's too bright for you uh, um, and I, I would I would speak you know and and then if you're a human being with personal relationships um, you it's very hard to accept the indifference of the cosmos right Mm. So you have children, for example. You have children, mm -hmm. Colton. I don't know about you, Devin. I remember very yeah, yeah. clear yeah. experience when my son, my son was in the ER, and mm. uh, we didn't know what what was wrong with him. We just knew that he through a series of what seemed unintended ish, uh, 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 a happy coincidence, he ended up getting a CAT scan when we just thought he had a throat problem, mm. and he had to have a, he had to have what what turned out to be a minor a minor operation, but if not attended to, it could, for children of that age, you can have really, you can have deadly consequences. <laughs> and all I could remember is the rage I felt at not having any control over that situation. Hmm. Right. Um, uh, sort of, sort of a, the, uh, I'll use the, the heady term, like cosmic indifference, hmm. right? I can't do anything, nothing, you know, what, what is, what is a father, to do in a situation where he has no control. Um, 
that's where you, I like my, whatever stoicism I might have just went out the window. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I knew that this is the thing that oriented me towards, towards um, God wasn't anything philosophical. It was every, it had to do with the relationship between my children. Mm. And I felt that the, the Socratic mode had nothing to offer. Mm. Right. Cause the Socratic mode in some sense tells you your children, this is what Socrates tells you about children. He says, it's a nature's lottery, right? Your kids are, are, it's like puppies in a pen. And it's very likely that your, your kids aren't going to be philosophers. So Socrates dotes on Plato and his kids are nowhere to be seen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, I didn't have that instinct. I had the instincts in which my relation, my strained relationship with my own father and my desire not to cultivate a strange relationship with my children overrode my need to see the, the sun, right. To leave the cave and see the sun. And it wasn't until I read, I went through a summer read in Genesis. There's a great book. If you're interested, it's called the beginning of wisdom by Leon Cass, the 800 page explication of Genesis. And it wasn't until a moment, a a section I read on Noah about how his, his sons in some sense symbolize both reverence and parasite, right? Ham symbolizes a denuding of his father. But I realize I'm both of those people. Hmm. I'm someone who lives in conflict with my own father. It's like, I'd never in my life read philosophy and come to a better understanding of my father until I read that explication of the relationship of Noah and his his sons. And when the moment that happened, I felt like there was a movement in my soul, right? Like a a turn. There's the notion of Socratic Hmm. turn. Yeah that you turn towards the philosopher's soul turns outward for the first time, then, then in this sense, it was like a restoring of a, a heart problem, right? I had a little heart surge. I didn't have the big one, but I had enough to like have some b- blood pump. And the beginning of restoring relationship with my father, even though it was just in myself, my dad didn't understand this. I couldn't have a conversation with him at this level. I just knew that something had changed. Something was different. Um, but that was still a very philosophical reflection of scripture. It wasn't a sort of, it wasn't the notion of a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, for me, Jesus was in in a different camp altogether. I didn't know how to approach him. I didn't know where to start. Um, I kind of, I, I kind of sealed him off. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll stick to the old Testament in some sense and I'll seal off the new Testament and let it, uh, this is in your mind. You've got a plan, right? I've got a plan for Jesus. He doesn't, this is the philosopher's mode of thinking. I have a plan. I'm going to control it. And let me structure my understanding in a certain way. Yeah. And I had this, con- I conceived, I'll just go through the Old Testament book by book and see what happens. Hmm. Well, I, that didn't quite work. That didn't quite work the, the way I expected it. What work, got you but, interested yeah. in reading Genesis? I'm kind of random in my reading. Like I'll just pick up a book <laughs> and decide that this is, this is the thing I'm going to start reading. I started reading second. I, I, I started reading Samuel one and two because I was interested in the sort of epic, the epic journey of, of David. Yeah. Uh, I, I had read, I had read some line somewhere that David is the closest thing to having Aristotelian friendship in all the old Testament. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I started reading, I started reading that. And then I was also reading uh, Cormac McCarthy's road at the same time. 
and I think Colton, if you might recall, I said the road was the sort of, you know, uh, before Genesis, the road was the thing that just made this, I had created this hardened, cauterized heart, this armor, and the road was something that just pierced the armor, right? This mm-hmm. chink in the armor. And I remember getting to the end of the road and feeling this um, overwhelming sense of being in the place of Papa in the book, the main character who is loves his son, but has also been hardened by this sort of post-apocalyptic world. And he is in that sense veering towards nihilism Mm -hmm. and his son's the only thing that can save him. I don't know if, spoiler alert, (laughs) if you haven't read The Road. That book has something very spiritual in it. That should be immediately taught in classical schools, to be on a senior year, teach the road. Uh, um, yeah. But during COVID, at some point I said, you know, why am I reading Second Samuel? The book starts on page one, so to speak. Let me go back and start reading, you know, page by page. Mm. And I, I suppose I got to number. I had gotten to numbers by the time COVID happened and we went home and and I started just feeling the feeling the feeling sort of tectonic shifts happening. So I stopped at numbers and or I stopped at I don't know really remember where I stopped. I might have read the whole Pentateuch. But then I picked up Cass's Genesis and spent the rest of the summer just reading his book. Uh, and then the next summer I read his book on Exodus. Um, but but in terms of like the classic shape in my Christianity was more like uh, it was more like the possibility of a nuclear meltdown than a sort of happy congruence. It was Chernobyl was about to happen because I've been so hardwired Mm -hmm. to put revelation in a whole different world of understanding and philosophy and, and religions lived in separate spheres, right? It was revelation. Isn't philosophy. Philosophy is philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very not. I had a not Catholic view of philosophy. The Catholics see a beautiful synthesis. Aquinas synthesizes Aristotle and the scriptures, but Leo Strauss was of a different mode of thought. His was he had a Maimon, His his worldview was centered on Maimonides, which is revelation and philosophy live in a very uneasy tension with each other. Never shall the twain meet. There was a sort of firewall separation. I kind of wonder what would have happened if it ended up staying at the Jesuit school, you know? Yes. Cause... So and it was very true. as a child, I was very primed towards God. Mm-hmm. I, like, not, in the ways my brothers weren't. I was always searching for God. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's one of the great counterfactuals, yeah. right? Like, yeah. what if he had stayed at the Jesuit? <laughs> in God's kindness. Yeah. I know that you you collaborated in a class with uh, Pastor David at uh, Commerce Community Church. So David. was this before or after COVID where you kind of to- co-taught a theology and philosophy uh, Way class? before, like four years. Way before, before okay. Like three wow. or four years before that happened. Really? So uh, like, how did, how did that uh, play into all this? Oh yeah, I just I found him I found him um, supremely interesting. I was curious, right? Because <laughs> look, the the thing is, is like I wasn't some sort of atheist, you know. I I I, I, I but I did have a standard 
sort of slogans like, well, you can't demonstrably either prove or refute revelation. So that was my, that was a modality. And then when I met David, I, um, and I, he was going through Romans, I think, in his community group. And I was just his neighbor and I just walked in one day. I was like, this dude reads the Bible the way I read philosophy, line by line. Right? I had no expectations. Mm. I had no expectations. I had no prejudices. Mm. I'm like, all right, I'll just. And I just saw to you know at what level of, of 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 specificity he was taking the text into consideration. And when he would go fast for the, I guess for the sake of the group, I'd get upset. I'm like, why are you going so fast? Slow down, like you were doing. And so I, I found that very curious. I found that interesting. And so when we taught uh, our faith and reason class, I saw it even better, right? I saw a better sense of how much close reading was involved uh, in his perspective as a Christian. But it never, it, at that point, it never, it never got higher than the level. It was like, ooh, like that was, you know, it, it, how to describe it? It's like watching an athlete perform, <laughs> right? And you're at the game and you're like, ooh, nice moves, right? Like, that was a great reading. Um, but I didn't go home and tell Carrie, no, let's go, let's go, you know, let's go to church. I just, um, I'll tell you that I was, I was, I was, it was hard for me to get under, I, I was very interested in Jesus, Jesus. I was like, this guy this is a curious cat, right? This dude is, there's something going on here. I had a tough time with Christians because I didn't find them interesting. Right. So, and those were, my, these were my prejudices. I'm like, aren't you more curious than like, why aren't you, why aren't you guys studious? Why aren't you, you know, and you know, these were, these were just also egoistic problems as well. But, and so what I would I would presume is that Jesus was more of a philosopher than meets the eye, right? I thought he was enigmatic, esoteric. I thought the the fact that he wrote uh, spoken parables reminded me of Socratic irony, and thus in my in my presumptions in my presumption his mm-hmm. teaching must be veiled. The teaching must be veiled, and thus it must be at some level fundamentally philosophic. David totally disagreed with me. <laughs> He's like, no, it, it cannot remain veiled. I'm like, no, it has to remain veiled. You Americans want everything to make sense. The, I'm putting them in with the ancients, right? I, I threw Jesus in with the ancient understanding, ancient communication, um, a whole different order. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the question is like, well, what if I'd stayed at Fairfield or have we moved on? Um, oh yeah. What, what did the class yield? The, the class yielded a relationship with David, a friendship. Right. And yeah. And David, and David is now your, yeah. David is now your pastor. Yeah. And now he has to he, put up with He me. baptized you, correct? Yes, he did. He, uh, he he yeah, said the incredible. funniest thing once. I said, "What?" Well, he said the funniest thing in that class. I, was, I said, "Man, if Socrates and Jesus would have met, what a conversation that would have been!" And David, without hesitation, goes, "Yeah, he would have become a Christian." <laughs> and I just laugh. I I laugh wow. because I'm like, "What hubris, right?" You know, in my eyes, it's like, no, they'd ha- it'd be like a, a good 
it, you know, it would be like Bruce Lee versus someone else, right? It would be like two, two giants of some sort. But he was so sure. And I was like, how are you so sure? And I, I loved hanging out with David. But for him, everything was always returned to like sovereignty of God. I'm like, man, give me a break. Just let human, like the human thing happen sometimes, right? So Socratic things are human things. And we, the, the peaks of humanity are at some level human genius. And so we were, I was, I was, it wasn't, it was very, it was like a friendly joust between me and him for four years. Um, but very polite, never mm. at some level, we never degenerate into, you know, but uh, I can't imagine having to hang out f- with me for four years and being like, oh man, that guy, he just like, if he just, <laughs> just, <laughs> if that would so, happen. He, yeah. So Mark, so you're, you're teaching at this college, um, and sure. even co-teaching a class with a with a, the local pa- a local Reformed Baptist pastor there, and uh, describe for us what it was like for you uh, to realize that Jesus's claims in the New Testament to his identity and his message in the world are true. What happened? What was what did God do to, to to bring you around, if you will? Besides a lot of pain, <laughs> right? I think first pain, pain, like pounding. Like I got pounded, man. I got pounded in, in emotional pain. Um, um, because, like I said, the, that oh. armor was 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 that armor it turns out was not you know um what is armor made up again it's uh that metal it turned out it was aluminum Wrong. foil it's like it's like you're done you know you think that it's armor <laughs> and it, it, he tells you no it's aluminum foil kid like you don't have anything here it's it's so brittle but but the the mindset yeah. is is so hard yeah. and the heart is so hard and it takes a long time, but so what had to happen is the strangest thing had to happen because I had this Aristotelian when I was undergoing what let's call it conversion for lack of a better word. It I didn't want it to happen. I could I could sense something was happening and I didn't want and I didn't and at an intuitive level I didn't want it to happen. That's for sure. I wasn't along for this ride at all. I was like, you know, when you're just holding on to like metal bars and you don't want to fall and you're slipping down the steps or something. I was like, I'm holding on to these bars no matter what. <laughs> and and in my mind, it's like, as long as I keep, so there's a Islamic philosopher named Al-Farabi who brought, thanks to him, we, we the Greeks survived, right? The, the, the Muslims save us uh, because uh, uh, the Greek philosophy was going to be lost. And Al-Farabi had an Aristotelian view of God, of Allah, right? And which I think Muslims yeah. sort of still share, which is God is an ineffable substance out there, right? It's a, it's a sort of, a, upon reflection, you only can admit that he's a, it's not even a he, it's a perfection. And that perfection exists in perfect indifference to nature, mm. 
which is the reflection of his creation, right? So we exist by nature and, and we're, think of us as, you know, our human nature is teleological, has a talos, it has an end. We can understand those ends, whether we fulfill those natures or not is really not up to God, right? So again, firewall exists. I'm like, that's good. That's my God. Mm-hmm. Al-Farabi's God, al Aristotelian God is my God. I can understand God as a perfection, but not as a person who cares about me. Um, and I remember telling, like, I had to psych myself up at one mm-hmm. point saying, that's your God. Don't forget. <laughs> don't, don't lose sight of that's your God. <laughs> really it's like because i didn't understand what was that and i started going to these you know i started i started i i just went pure god i went i just dove into matthew mark luke and john over and over and over and over and over and over again i can't tell you to what it, uh i can't remember how and it just i started i i emotionally a a sort of uh hole opens up in my chest and we get to john right and I'm listening to this almost oh, yeah. like on a loop. If you don't, if your if your audience doesn't know David Sushet's uh, full reading of the Bible, now is the time to get into it because he's an, a British actor. And just like platonic dialogues, if you read the Gospels dramatically, mm-hmm. it brings them to life, so to speak, right? And I just remember mm-hmm. getting to the part. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we call this part in John in the upper room? Uh, in, during the Passover, and then, right, and mm-hmm. then after the supper, the farewell discourse. I had, I would say, it was the beauty of the of the poetic and mournful Jesus, who's trying to uplift his apostles, who are more bound by the fact that they don't know what's coming, but they know something is ending. Um, I just remember uh, basically breaking down and crying, mm-hmm. right, and and. And I knew and wondering, am I mm. losing my mind? I, that was my first incident. Am I lost it? What's going on? It's a very rational reaction, right? It's like you're listening to the, I, yeah. I, was, I read in Bonhoeffer, yeah. I'm reading yeah. the Gospels, like I'm reading, I'm listening to um, uh, monastic chanting. I was like, this guy's like anybody who knew me must have thought this guy needs a psychiatrist. And I just, I'm, I'm, so, so I, so it's just pouring out <laughs> of emotion, but emotion because it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Like what he says mm. is so beautiful yeah. that in, in retrospect, I'm realizing I'm finally touching reality. Right. And it's not the way you thought you were going to touch the reality. You thought you were going to touch mm. the reality Socratically through dialectic. It's not that at all it's through soothing it's through comfort and it's through it's from jesus what jesus is saying right now he can he can he can give it to a pharisee without a like that was my favorite that was my early favorite jesus like oh man this guy is killing it right i think he's funny he's comedic (laughs) i wish i knew aramaic so i could get the play on words and the puns but it's how he comforts the disciples i i think that is the most, um, like, uh, you know, um, I can't, I, uh, I should know, I should know it by heart because it's a line that I think really just caught me. But, uh, does he say he'll be with them till the end in? Yeah. Yeah. Always to the end of the age. 
at the end of Matthew. Right. So what 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 happens? What I think mm-hmm. is happening in Jesus is the impossibility of man to think of both the particular and the universal. Right. That's what the problem of Plato is. Plato is not an mm-hmm. ideal form thinker. He's a tension thinker. Right. He's always in tension. The forms are never full, formal, and complete. It's actually satire in the Republic. The forms are always in the fact that they're incomplete because you're in the particular relationship between your particular self and trying to understand the eternal things. But Socrates proves that although he's the ideal, he's still stuck in particularity, right? Read the symposium. That is the explicit book where Mm -hmm. you realize that the Republic is an extreme and the symposium is its moderating influence because you're still an erotic being tied to a particular particularity right i think jesus is what what happens for us to because we cannot understand the universal jesus is the particularity that gives us access to the universal right to the eternal and we would never do it on ourselves we cannot philosophize on our own right we only get to cosmic indifference so and he also comforts you by saying, you don't need to philosophize. Um, philosophy is good, but you don't need it. It's not an end in itself. Yeah. Um, no, it's like a, it's like a, so you put yourself out of a job. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't it's because a, I, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think if you read platonic dialogue, the way they're supposed to be read, you can read the Bible in a, in a way that I don't think it's read. And so here's my big critique. I don't see people read mm-hmm. the Bible with life or joy. I think they are uh, a little too accustomed to, I guess that's not the right word, but to like institutional reverence, right? Uh, the pastor said that this is how I should treat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I try to say, you know, you know the scene of the, uh, the scene in which he asks uh, when they ask the te- they ask him for um, should we pay the tax to Caesar, right? I, I start imagining mm-hmm. like the crowd around, everybody around, right? Like these are tense situations. These are worldly situations, human situations. He's like, hey, let me see the let me see a Daenerys. Like I'm just what a cool move, you know. Think of like think of the apostles, mm-hmm. the little puppies, like, oh, what is he gonna do now? And he I think of him, I'm like, oh, he's looking at the Nanaris. You can't see this in the podcast, but he's like flipping it and looking at it and looking like cool hand Luke, right? And then he's and then you get the famous line, and then <laughs> right, you give to Caesar unto Caesar's God was God. And then I imagine him taking the Nanaris and flipping it back and the Pharisee catching it, and everyone going <laughs> right and everyone around him like all the apostles like burn you know and i think that <laughs> right i think that human element is missing when we talk about it when we study it yeah. and you know this is probably the same <clears throat> that you two gentlemen feel being steeped in the classics it's like it's too american like i when I'm around mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters, they're like, I, I feel like they've Americanized themselves or they don't understand how American they mm-hmm. are or how modern they are or how, un- and this is not a flaw because I'm not poetic, but how unpoetically they read. Right. And so the Bible is, 
the Bible's poetry, yeah, it's right. literature, it's it should be also joyful, I think. Even and so the it's not there's something too heady about the interpretations, I think, that forego the particulars. And that's the problem yeah. of reading Plato without reading the particulars. Mark, you are the uh, you are the epitome of, of what I would have loved to have as an undergraduate professor. And not only that, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to have gotten to know you. I, I wish I would have been in commerce for the last five, commerce, Texas for the past five or six years to get to know you and, and like see the Lord work in you step by step as David and the other pastors have. It's, from my outside perspective, it's an incredible encouragement, and um, I'm delighted and very thankful to call you my friend. Um, we are just about out of time, unfortunately. We didn't get to our other question about uh, reading, but you kind of touched on this like right there at the end. Uh, so praise God, praise God for that, for structuring it that way. Um, Devin, any last questions or thoughts? What was the question? Well, at least I know. Oh, the the, the, the last question? question? Yeah, that that last question was just uh, was just um, have has your approach to the ancient philosophers and ancient classics changed since you've become a Christian? And perhaps we could we could maybe ask that question on a different episode and like spend a whole time just talking about that and how we ought to read um, uh, the pagan classics and what ditches to avoid. Oh, I'd love to talk about, yeah, I'd love to talk about. That would be fantastic. Yeah. So, well, uh, Mark, I'm not sure if you've been listening to the podcast, but uh, we have a good buddy and his name is Micah and he's got a fantastic edition of Be Thou My Vision and he takes us away every single episode. Yeah, he does. You know what I'm talking about? Boy, <laughs> sleep right. Let's hear it. Okay. <laughs>